Institute of World Mission podcast. You're listening to the show for Adventist cross-cultural mission enthusiasts. My name is Alex Ott, and together with the IWM team, we invite you to join us today. This podcast is a production of the Institute of World Mission brought to you with support of the General Conference Missions family of ministries and services. Hi there, friends. Welcome back to the Institute of World Mission podcast. This week's episode will be quite different from the ones we've done so far. For a long time, we wanted to make Dr. Anne Hamill's personal story available to our missions community via both audio and video. Today, we are releasing it in an audio format on our podcast right here. Anne's story is a testimony to God's great power to heal a missionary, both physically and emotionally. The episode is a bit longer than our usual 30-minute format, but it's the one that we know will make time fly. With that, let's get straight into the interview itself. Dr. Hamill, it is so good to be with you again this morning. Welcome. Thank you, Alex. Now, again, I'd like to introduce you to uh, those who may not know you. And I'll just take a minute to, to do that. Dr. Hamill is the psychologist with the International Service Employee Support Team of the General Conference. She's got a PhD in psychology from Andrews University, as well as a Doctor of Ministry degree informational counseling from Ashland Theological Seminary. She also has a certificate from Harvard University in global mental health with specification in trauma and recovery. Dr. Hamill, you also have a very interesting life story, a life story that has prepared you for the ministry that you're involved in today. And by the way, just this morning, you shared it with a group of missionaries here in the Mission Institute that is actually happening right now. So today, uh, would you please share with us your experience, your story, how God has led you in the past, how He has prepared you to work with missionaries today? I'd be happy to do that, Alex. It's true, I have uh, shared my story with missionaries uh, during every Mission Institute. We all have a story, a life story. And I think it's always helpful to look at it from the perspective, not of what we, you know, what we have done, but what God has done through our lives. So I'm happy to share that this morning. You know, um, the families that we're born into impact who we are. They impact how we relate to others. They impact how we relate to God. They even impact how we relate to ourselves, how we view ourselves. And I, uh, when I work with people, I always ask them to tell me about the families they were born into. I was born into a family where my mother was an Adventist and my father was a Catholic. Okay. Uh, and that created some very interesting spiritual, last, <laughs> spiritual dynamics within our family. Um, neither of my parents believed the other would be in heaven. My father used to call my mother a heretic, and my mom would say that he had the mark of the beast. Um, that was very confusing to me as a child. You know, I often wondered which one of them was right. I have memories in my childhood of lying awake at night and praying for my parents, praying that they would be in heaven. Both of them? Both of them. Sometimes I wondered if either of them would be there. I just didn't know which was the right pathway. 
And, you know, um, neither of my parents were practicing their faith um, during my childhood or at the time that they married. And if they had been, more than likely they would have never married. Um, but they weren't practicing. Neither of them were going to church. But most, both of my grandmothers were faithful, loving Christian women. Mm-hmm. My dad's mother was a faithful Catholic. She lived just a few doors down from the Catholic church in the town where she lived, and she attended Mass daily. Mm -hmm. And my mother's mother was a very committed, loving Adventist Christian. I saw Christ in both of their lives. Um, I didn't know which one was right. They were both loving and kind. Um, What a dilemma for a child. It was a dilemma. And yet God could use that. You know, we all have experiences where we know God is real for ourselves, and or we don't, you know. Um, but I think most of us have come to a point in life where we say, this isn't just the faith of my parents, this is my faith. And when I was still a very young child, I remember swinging in our backyard one hot summer day, and I was talking to God, asking Him about this situation with my parents, who was right. Um, I didn't know. I knew I wanted to be in heaven, but I didn't know the pathway. And I remember asking him, how will I know who to trust? How do I know what's right? And the voice I heard wasn't an audible voice, but it was very much a real voice. And God said, you can trust me. So at a young age, I decided to put my hand in God's hand and to trust him to show me the way to heaven. God is so good. He is. And my relationship with God became very real to me. I remember praying and experiencing answers to my prayers. I remember asking for, for guidance and leading, and He provided that. Um, over the years, I learned a lot about what it meant to be an Adventist and what it meant to be a Catholic. When I would ask my dad various questions, he often referred to the authority of the Pope the authority of the church as his response for moral issues. When I would ask my mother, she always took me to the scriptures. And she would say, the Bible teaches us this. She taught me, even though early in life she wasn't following it herself, she taught me that we would come to know God's will through studying the scriptures and the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives, that we didn't have to go through the medium of a priest our church, but the Holy Spirit was our our guide. My mother did give her life back to Christ, and my father gave became a a, um, a believer. Well, he was always a, a, a believer, Catholic, a devoted yeah. Catholic. Uh, by the time that I was in early elementary school, okay, and he took us to church. I received the first communion and confirmation, and went to confession because for him we had to be Catholic. He wouldn't allow my mother, to take us to an Adventist church. But when I was in the ninth grade, my parents had an argument, and that wasn't unusual. It happened. Um, And my mother would often leave for an hour or two after an argument and then come back. But on this particular day, um, she hesitated to leave. Uh, They were having evangelistic meetings at her church. And so if she left then, she would go to those meetings. So she didn't want to be gone that long and she decided to take us with her. But she wasn't supposed to take us to church. But what would she do with us? So for the very first time, we attended an Adventist church. And it was an evangelistic series. It was an evangelistic series. 
And you know how they have these cards in church that yes. say, do you want to visit from a pastor? Would you like Bible studies? Would you like to be baptized? And I had made the decision for some time then that I wanted to be an Adventist and that I wanted to be baptized. So I checked that. And I had a younger uh, brother and two younger sisters, and they looked at their cards and they said, what do we do with these? And they gave them to me, and I checked for all three of them. Want to be <laughs> baptized. This was on a Wednesday night. On Sabbath morning, we were all baptized. You helped them to make a decision. I did. I did. But, you know, I think they, they all wanted that. They just weren't as fully informed about the process that as I was because of the process that I had been going through in my study of, of uh, the scriptures and, and investigating the pathway to God. Um, this really angered my dad. He wouldn't allow us to go home for a month. My mom, on the other hand, refused to go home until he allowed us to go to church. So for a month, we lived with my grandmother. She had a small two-bedroom home, and the five of us moved in with her. So it was a bit crowded, but after a month, my dad finally agreed that we could go to church. And when we came home, it was a Sunday. I remember seeing my dad weeping, really weeping, because he believed we were lost. He believed that, you know, there was no salvation outside of Rome. He used to call my mother a heretic. She used to say that he had the mark of the beast. Um, it was a, a sad situation for him, but there was something that I learned from that experience, and that was that one can be sincerely and genuinely wrong. Both of my parents couldn't be right. Somebody was sincerely and genuinely wrong. And it's possible that both of them were wrong about some things. Um, we began to, to go to church, and I remember having a desire to give my life fully and completely to God. I saw a lot of good in Catholicism. I used to admire the life of the nuns. They were lives of total sacrifice and commitment to God, and I wanted that. Um, I also wanted to go to college, and no one in my family had ever been to college. And I knew that once I became an Adventist, my father would not support that. And he didn't. But once again, I decided to put my hand in God's hand. I did my best in school. And when I graduated from college, a number of my friends won scholarships to particular schools. But I won a scholarship that I could use to go to the school of my choosing. And to me, okay. that was a gift directly from heaven. So you could go to any college. I could. That accepted me, yes. And I chose to use that scholarship to go to Southern. And it Southern Adventist University Southern College Ad at that time. Yes, Southern Ad it was Southern Missionary College at that time. Okay. And, you know, our, our Father in Heaven owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I believe that He sold one that day, provided what I needed to go to school. For me, God was very real. Um, when I went to Southern, it was a very sacred, special experience for me. I was able to participate in the activities of the campus freely because they, they believed as I believed. I remember the Friday night Vespers and how I felt the Holy Spirit's presence there. I have very similar memories of my college days when I 
was uh, just blessed to go to an Adventist college. Yeah. So very similar. Very, very, yeah. very special experience after having attended public schools throughout my life exactly. and not being able to participate in things. And it wasn't that I couldn't. I chose not to. I chose to, to spend my Sabbath with the Lord. Um, so this was very, very special to me. And during my uh, freshman year at Southern, I met a young man who shared the same beliefs that I did, had the same passion to serve God that I did. We married after my sophomore year, and during my senior year in college, we got a, received a call to go to Africa. As missionaries? As missionaries, right. yeah. And for me, this was the Adventist version of being a nun. Mission service is a life of self-sacrifice and total commitment to God. And the two of us readily embraced that opportunity. The weekend I graduated from Southern, we were packing for Africa. Um, my husband had graduated a year ahead of me and had taken a job there at Southern while I finished. So we worked a year, and then uh, after graduation, we came here to Andrews. We attended Mission Institute. Okay. At that time, it was six weeks long. And then we left for Africa on our second wedding anniversary. Your second wedding anniversary, now you are on your way to uh, which country? Well, we first flew to Belgium where we spent a month studying French. They thought we were, I guess, linguistic geniuses, but anyway, we spent a month. month. <laughs> we spent a month, and then we flew to Bujumbura, the capital of the small Central African country of Burundi. Okay. Now, when we got the call, we had no idea where Burundi was. We got out a map, we looked, and there it was, tiny country in Central Africa. Um, and after a month in Belgium, we flew there, and we were met by a very experienced, committed, loving group of Adventist missionaries there in Burundi. Mm -hmm. They were all wonderful people. All of them had been um, there at least six years. Many had served for many years. One couple had been in, served in Africa for more than 30 years. They were all grandparents. I was only 21 at the time. Um, but the first year there was hard for me. I had barely been out of South Carolina when I went to Southern to go to college. So going to Africa was really a step of faith. I believe God had called us so I chose to go, but it wasn't because I had any experience of being outside of the country. But the hardest thing about being in Burundi that first year wasn't Africa or the people there. Or the culture, right? No, it wasn't that. It was the missionaries. These wonderful, committed Adventist missionaries weren't getting along. They would barely speak to each other. Now, they were all nice to us, but they weren't getting along. I've learned a lot since then about conflict among missionaries. You know, missionaries go to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. They go to further God's kingdom. But if the devil can get missionaries in conflict, he, he wins. He wins. Their influence is really, really destroyed, limited, limited when they, he does that. Uh, these, many of these missionaries eventually retired and returned home. And after a year of being in Burundi, I learned to love it. I love the people. I love the, the environment. I love the culture. I loved going to the market, bargaining, the whole process. I really, it really fit who I was. Our first son was born during our time in Burundi as well. Um, I planned his birth to coincide with our first furlough, 
because I wasn't brave enough to have our first child in Burundi. I, would, I told myself it was because I didn't speak French well enough. To me, it was really important to be able to communicate effectively during the birth of our first child. But anyway, we came home. He was born in the same town that I was born in. And we went back when he was one month old. After um, being in Rwanda, we, in Burundi for three years, we received a call to go to Rwanda. Which is not too far away. <clears throat> the adjacent country, same um, people groups in both countries. Their languages are very similar. In Burundi, they speak Kirundi. In Rwanda, they speak Kenyawanda and their sister languages. Mm. Different accent, a few different words, but very similar. Two tribes in both tribes. countries, but That's with right. a little bit of different relation to each other. That's right. The General Conference had decided to build a university in Africa to serve French-speaking students of Africa and the Indian Ocean. And they chose Rwanda because Rwanda was considered the most peaceful, the most stable country in French-speaking Africa at that time. All things change. Yeah. If anyone's familiar with the uh, history of Rwanda, you may be surprised, but at that time it really, really was very peaceful and very stable. Um, and we moved there when our oldest son was eight months old. Mm -hmm. And that was a really good experience. We moved from the capital city of Burundi to a site, an eight-hour drive from the capital in Rwanda. Mm -hmm. We didn't have electricity. And it's kind of up the hill, right? Uh, uh, yes. In the mountains. The mountains, 7,500 feet above sea level in the northwestern corner of uh, Rwanda. So the setting was just absolutely gorgeous. Beautiful. Yeah, we used to call it the Garden of Eden. It was very, very beautiful. The highest re temperature was 76, and we were just a few miles from Uganda and just a few miles from Congo. It was called Zaire at that time. We could see uh, near Gongo, the volcano, active volcano at that time, glowing every night for the first eight months that we were there. It was a very beautiful environment, but there was no place for us to live when we got there. Um, the president of Rwanda had given that 250 acres of land to the church to build a university, but they, they had houses under construction, but none of them were ready for a family to move into. So we moved into the home of the university president. He was there and had been working on building the school and working with the government. And he was living in a mission house about 30 miles from the campus. Yeah. We moved into their two-bedroom home with them. And a few weeks later, a third couple moved into the two-bedroom home. And we were a bit crowded, so we decided that we would, this other couple, which we also knew from Southern, Lars and Chicky Gustafson, that we would move from uh, this old mission house onto the university site. So we have the privilege of being the first missionaries to move onto the campus of the Adventist University of Central Africa. We moved into our very much unfinished house. I was just going to mention it was probably unfinished. Very much unfinished. We had nothing in the kitchen. Uh, we used two carpenter horses and a piece of plywood for a table. Um, we had three chairs. There were four of us. Uh, I used to bathe my eight-month-old baby. By that time, he was about ten months old in a five-gallon bucket. Um, but it was like camping. We had a roof and we had wall, exterior walls and doors. And we felt like we were doing pioneering work. That's what we were doing. Yes. And we felt like we were really privileged to be a part of preparing a school that would equip students, that would take the gospel 
What all of Africa. What was your husband's role uh, there on this new campus? Well, at that time, we were, um, he was the assistant business manager, and um, we were involved in the construction of the school. So I spent lots of time with my uh, baby working on the house. He didn't walk until he was 18 months old, and I didn't realize that was abnormal, but, or I shouldn't say abnormal, was unusual, but there was no safe place to put him down to walk. There was construction everywhere. And African women carry their babies for a long time. Um, and he walks just fine today. But um, yeah, we were involved in doing that, but he became chair of the business department. And after two years, we were able to open the doors of the school to students from all of Africa and the Indian Ocean. And during our time in Rwanda, we were privileged in so many ways. We had two more sons that were born. The middle, um, my middle son, Philip, was born at a little uh, hospital in Ruangari. So now little you, were, African you hospital. were fine actually doing it there. I was comfortable having the second one there. My third one, you would think I was very comfortable. He was actually born at home. Okay. It wasn't the plan initially, but it worked out just fine. And he has the privilege of being the only missionary baby born on that campus. Um, during that time, I felt like I couldn't be happier. I loved being a missionary wife. I loved being the mother of three adorable little boys. I loved being a part of the lives of the students. We had missionaries um, by the time that we left from 23, um, well, I, we had 23 missionary families there, and they came from about 15 different countries. That's a very multicultural Very, team. very diverse. We had students from as many countries. Um, so we were a very multicultural campus. And I loved it there. I loved cooking. I loved going to the market. I loved um, the creativity that living in that environment requires. Uh, it takes a unique skill set to be a missionary in an environment like that. And because of the altitude where the campus is, all the malaria and all of that was not there. No, malaria, uh, mosquitoes couldn't carry malaria at that height. Okay. So we didn't have any problem with malaria. Snakes were almost none. I think that we saw one during our whole time there. They said that they weren't up that high. So we didn't have many of those kinds of problems. And we, we could grow all kinds of fruits and vegetables there. So we had a healthy diet was really a wonderful place to live. And there were times when I felt like God had created and designed me to be a missionary in Africa. I was really very, very happy there. And I felt like what we were doing was useful. It was a part of furthering the kingdom of our Lord. Then in 1990, um, we got a letter from my mother-in-law. And she um, said that my husband's uncle and his wife were moving to Zambia. Well. Um, 1990 was the time of the general conference session in Indianapolis. And we made it, and lots of missionaries had planned to attend that, so they planned their furloughs accordingly. But we decided to go to Victoria Falls, and we planned the trip. And um, two of uh, some of our good friends also planned to go with us. Mm -hmm. They had three young children as well. And um, that's real camping. It, yes, yes, we had six, six young children. Yeah. yeah. And we went in two cars. We thought that would be safer because travel in Africa can be very risky. If you look at some of the, uh, the statistics on um, motor vehicle fatalities in various countries, like it's 
just over five in 10,000 or 100,000. In England um, and in Rwanda, it's 32. So six times times um, more likely to have a motor vehicle fatality in Rwanda as it is in England. In the U.S., it's 10. Um, So the risk of accidents is greater. The risk of being um, robbed is greater. So we prayed a lot about the trip. We wanted to be sure that, you know, God was with us, that we were within his will, because we always believed that as long as we did what God was asking us to do, where we, if we were where he called us to be, that he would take care of us. We never traveled into Uganda because Uganda was not a safe country at that time. Congo was not a safe country at that time. And we didn't, we didn't, we chose not to take unnecessary risk. If God had called us there, we would have gone, but we didn't choose to vacation there. But Tanzania was considered safe. So we prayed about it. I remember on the the day before we went, my husband couldn't find his passport. And we knelt down and prayed in his study. And we asked God to help us find it. But we also said, if it's not your will for us to go, we pray that we won't find it. Within minutes, he found it. We left the next morning believing that God was with us. We camped a lot on that trip. We uh, would barely be able with six children to get from one guest house to the next. So when we had traveled as far as we felt we could, and one day we would stop, we would put up our tents, and we would make a fire and have supper, have worship with our children. And then after we put the children to bed, we would share stories of how God had led in our lives. And many of the stories that I shared earlier about my childhood, I shared with with our friends. Um, And I remember the the couple that we were traveling with were both physicians from England. And the wife, one evening, shared that her favorite Bible text was Jeremiah 29, 11. And I've read the Bible through in French. I've read it through in English. And that verse had never stood out. But that evening when she shared it, it really just touched me. What a beautiful text, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I took that text as my own. We traveled on. We um, made it to Zimbabwe. When we were ready to go through Zambia, they were having a coup in the country. So we took a a few days detour in uh, Zanzibar. And then uh, when the coup had settled down, we traveled through. That was part of being in Africa. Um, the, the falls were beautiful. It is one of the seven natural wonders of the world. And I felt God's presence there. You could see a um, rainbow in the mist, in yes. the moonlight. Truly beautiful. And then we made the trip back to our home. And on the last day of the trip, we left very early in the morning. It was a Friday morning, and it was about a 12-hour drive to Rwanda to get to the border, and my husband really wanted to get there. There was a nice hotel just inside the border of Rwanda, in their one and only game park, Uh, and there was a paved road from the border to that hotel. So that was our goal. 
12 hours ahead, there will be the beginning of the paved road. That's right, yes. Tanzania has some paved roads, but they were in such ill repair. And we were talking 30 years ago. Yes, that's right. Um, So the roads in Tanzania were rough at that time, and we had 12 hours of that. And my husband drove the whole time. Um, But at lunch, we stopped, and we could see the mountains of Rwanda in the distance. Rwanda is known as the country of a thousand hills, Mm -hmm. Milkolin. It's truly beautiful, and we thank God for our safe and enjoyable trip. We had felt his presence on the trip. He had been with us. We hadn't had much trouble. Oh, we had lots of flat tires, but that's not a big deal. That happens. We got a hole in the gas tank, but that happens. But we were safe. Hole in the gas tank. Yes, it happens. Yes, my husband had become very adept at fixing that. Unfortunately, every time I drove, I would somehow bump it off. So that's why he drove the whole day, the last day. He thought it was easier just to do the driving. Anyway, we had a great time. We thanked God for our trip, and we looked forward to getting back to the university, to our work the following year. That whole day, we talked about our plans for the next year. Um, We made it to the border right at sundown, and the border's closed at sundown. And I remember seeing my husband coming out of the passport office with a big smile on his face, our five passports in his hand. And we knew that that night we would sleep in a bed, we'd have a shower, and we'd be able to sit at a table for our evening meal. And we would be able to spend Sabbath there at that hotel before making going on to the university on Sunday. So that was a very happy moment to know we're going to have a, a, a nice Sabbath rest. My next memory, however, is awakening in a hospital bed in Belgium. In Belgium. Yes. I didn't know where I was or how I'd gotten there. I learned that our family had had a head-on collision with a truck and that my husband had been killed instantly. I also learned that he had already been buried in Rwanda. On the trip, we had told our friends that if anything ever happened to either one of us, that that was our desire, that we wanted to be buried in Rwanda. I was American, he was English, but we had married young and come to Africa right away. We had made Africa our home. That's where we felt that we belonged. So they knew that, and so that he had already been buried there. I learned that my three-year-old son was four floors above me on the pediatrics unit. His skull had been fractured, two legs, I mean, his leg had been crushed, and two toes had been cut off. And he was still unconscious. My six-year-old, my eight-year-old sons were the only two family members at their father's funeral. And still today, and it's been 29 years this this month since it happened, I feel a sadness when I think of a six-year-old and eight-year-old boy, boys standing by a grave and no family members there with them. Um, As you can imagine, I felt devastated. Prior to this, I had believed that a faith in God, a trusting relationship with Him, you know, a personal relationship where you know God is a friend, would be sufficient safeguard against the type of despair that I felt when I learned what had happened. You know, we sing songs about moment by moment, God is always with us. He is the God that can heal every disease and 
he's a God of miracles. But when tragedy happens, those realities that he can heal every disease, that he is a God of miracles, don't bring comfort because you're faced with the reality that he didn't work a miracle on your behalf. You know, as I awakened in that hospital bed and lay there thinking of the reality of my life, I knew of other stories where God had saved missionaries. I knew of stories where he had kept people at the border and wouldn't let them pass and miraculously intervened so that their lives were saved. But he didn't miraculously intervene to save my husband's life or to protect us. It only would take a second to miss that truck as we rounded that corner. Rather than feeling God's sweet presence then, I felt like God had abandoned me. I felt like at that moment He had turned His face from me. So rather than finding myself in just an emotional crisis, I found myself in a spiritual crisis as well. We spent two weeks at the hospital in Belgium. And then we were transferred to a hospital in the U.S. where we spent two more weeks. But I have to say that the two weeks that I spent in Belgium were the two hardest weeks of my life. We had left the States on our second wedding anniversary. We left full of hopes and dreams for our future. We looked forward to what God would do for us and with us and through us. I was in Belgium again on our anniversary, this time our 13th anniversary. Those hopes and dreams had all been shattered. Rather than filled with hope, I was filled with despair. So it was a very, very hard time to be there. The biggest question that I had on my heart was, where was God? What is He doing? And I remember, and I don't always, I I often, I, I, I usually don't like to tell this story, and I wasn't sure I would tell this part now, but I remember feeling like I didn't want to live when I heard that. And I've learned from that that there are times in life when the pain that we experience is so great and the darkness is so penetrating that we're not able to see God. We're not able to see His loving presence in our lives. And it's at those times that we need people. I remember the friend that had flown with us is when we were airlifted to Belgium. He walked into the room. I remember asking him to put something in my IV so that I would die. There's nothing rational about that. I'm not proud that I asked him to do that at this time. But I felt overwhelmed with the prospect of being a single mother of three little boys. I felt overwhelmed with the prospect of returning to America. I had left 11 years before. 21 years old. I was 32 at that time. I'd never worked in the States. I was American, but I no longer felt American. I didn't know how I would manage life. And I remember this friend. He symbolically took my hand and he put it back in God's hand. He reminded me of the stories that I had shared those evenings by the campfire. He reminded me of the times when I had heard God's voice in my life the times that he had answered my prayers. And he reminded me that God is always there and that during the difficult times that that we may not see him, but he hasn't abandoned us. 
During our time in the, during that time in Belgium, I chose to trust God. I remember praying often about God, where am I going to live? You know, I shared about my family and how there was religious tension in my family that hadn't changed. In fact, things were worse now. My mother was in the beginning stages of Alzheimer's. My dad had developed a serious drinking problem. I had no place that we could go and stay until we could get on our feet. I had no idea where I would live. Now, we were the first missionaries to move onto the campus of the university. It felt like my home, but I knew it wasn't my home. It wasn't me they needed in Africa. They didn't need a widow with three young boys. It was my husband they needed, and without him, they would want my house for the next missionary. So I felt absolutely homeless, and three young boys that I needed to care for. I didn't know what to do. But God is faithful. While I was in the hospital there in Belgium, a friend from Atlanta that I had only met two years before, she called me. She offered to allow my boys and me to come and live with her. She was a church school teacher. She taught in a one-room church school. Now, my boys had never been to a school. I had taught them. Okay. So in living with her, they were able to go to school the next in the morning with their teacher. Um, Which allowed I, some space for you as well. Yeah, gave, it was um, 10 weeks, uh, close to three months before I was in a position to take care of myself and my children, to live independently. But they welcomed us into their home. Um, and then when I um, was able to live on my own, I didn't know where I was going to live. You know, I will share later some of the challenges of transition. Now, it's particularly difficult when a missionary has experienced trauma and they have to return to their homeland. But all transitions are difficult. It's difficult to go. But most of us go believing God has called us, going with a, a, a purpose and a reason to go. We are filled with hope and dreams for what we will do there. Coming home is often much more difficult. It's more difficult when missionaries come home and it's not their choice to come home for various reasons. Either they weren't reelected or uh, for political reasons they can't get back in the, to the country due to health reasons or family problems. All those reasons make it difficult to transition back. Uh, it's easier when a person has completed their term, they've completed the task that they've gone for, and they're moving or back. Or it was their choice. Their choice, yeah. that's right. So um, later I will do a session on the, some of the challenges of transition. They're particularly difficult when a person's experienced trauma. Um, coming back to the States was not easy in any way. I eventually moved to Andrews, and Andrews was a good place for us. God miraculously took care of us in, in spite of all the many challenges that we have. When I got here, I, I didn't have anything with me. Someone else had packed our suitcases for us. Um, I was unconscious when I left Africa. Uh, by the time I was able to go back to see my husband's grave for the first time, war had started in Rwanda, so I wasn't able to go back. Um, so we came to Andrews without anything. I thought that I would go to Walmart or somewhere and buy sheets and towels and dishes, the few things that we would need to set up um, a place to live here. But I remember my husband had an aunt here, and she had 
worked uh, to help me find an apartment. And I called her when we got here, and she took me to the apartment to see it. And I remember when I walked in, and I felt God's presence. She and all of her friends had fully furnished that apartment. Oh, is that right? I was just going to say those apartments are dull. I know They're dull and empty, about. yes. All the beds were made. There were stuffed animals on the bed. There were Bible story books in the bookcases and other children's books there. There were dishes and food in the, uh, in the cabinets. There was even milk in the refrigerator and fresh fruits and vegetables in the refrigerator. And winter coats in the closet for my boys. It was October when we moved here. And of course, coming, cool. for Africa, coming from Africa, we didn't have any of that. But God provided all that we needed. All of my things were still in Africa. But I had everything I needed right then. It was a tough time, and I will share more of that later. Um, and another little story I'd like to share. Shortly after um, we got to the States, my oldest son came to me one day, and he said, Mommy, do you think you could find a really nice man and marry him so I could have a daddy again? I didn't know what to say. I mean... It's hard enough to find a good husband to marry. You don't find many men who want to be daddies right away. So I didn't know what to say. And before I could respond to him, he said, I know, Mommy, it would be really, really hard to ever find a man as nice as our daddy. But it's not too hard for God. I, had, I did remarry. I married a wonderful man that's been an incredible husband to me, a wonderful father to our, my three children and his four children. We blended our seven children into a family of nine. And he is a gift to God, of God, from God, to me and my boys and to our family. So God has been good. And today what I want to share with those that are listening is that we serve a God who is a God of miracles. He can do incredible things, but he doesn't always work miracles. Jesus prayed and he said, Lord, if you won't remove this cup from me, please help me to, to take it. And he doesn't remove the cup from all of us. Missionaries face sometimes incredible hardships. Others face incredible hardships. People have car accidents all over the place. Um, but God is able to help us deal with whatever comes our way. And I, Ellen White says that we have no need to fear for the future unless we forget how God has led us in the past. She also says that, that if we could see the end from the beginning, that we wouldn't choose to be led in any other way than the way that he has led us. And I can say truthfully that I wouldn't choose to be led any other way. If I could have seen the end from the beginning, knowing what I know now, I can trust him with my life. And I also want to say that in Rwanda, this year, we are celebrating 100 years of Adventist missions. Rwanda's experienced an incredible tragedy with the genocide, yes. but the church is growing there. Just in two years ago, over 100,000 new members were brought into the church. God is working. He is alive. And thank you very much for sharing um, the beginning of your story um, with our uh, international, uh, global community of Adventist uh, cross-cultural missionaries. Um, thank you for highlighting, uh, sharing uh, just a little bit that this is uh, not uh, that this is just the beginning. 
um, we are praying and hoping, and I know you are very much planning to uh, come forward, come uh, back to our audience with follow-up episodes, follow-up videos. Yes, I would like to do one on the impact of trauma. You know, we all experience trauma. Hopefully most of us don't experience this type of trauma, but we experience little painful things in life that impact us. And just as God created the body to heal, He creates the mind to heal. I also want to do a session on resilience. What are the factors and how can we uh, develop habits that increase our resilience. And I want to also talk later about the impact of trauma on children. Mm-hmm. And the research that is, uh, done has been done on the impact of adverse childhood experiences later in life, not only on mental health, but physical health and spiritual health. So all of these are things that we will talk about later. So a lot more things are coming for today. Thank you very much for being willing to share. You're really welcome. appreciate that. You're welcome, Alex. God bless. Like I've announced in the beginning, this is the audio version of Dr. Ann Hamill's testimony. Very soon, we will also publish the video version of the same recording on the IWM website blog and on the IWM community home group on Workplace. Stay tuned for that. Please find an opportunity to share this episode with someone this very week. It may be just the kind of touch from the Lord that person needs. My name is Alex Ott, and I will be very happy to see you next week.